0: Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times cuz you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm is Voss here from the chrisvosshow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. As always, we uh, are the Chris Boss Show family. The family loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother in law, because she didn't like you anyway. Uh, we always have the most amazing uh, authors, minds, billionaires, CEOs, you name it, White House presidential advisors. The smartest people come on the planet, come on to this show. None of them are me, of course. That's why we have guests. And they tell us all about their amazing stories, their learnings, their education, their educating. All the educating they've been educating on, and they share it with you so you can improve the quality of your life and all that good stuff. Thanks to uh the I guess that's our New Year's resolutions people. The show is up 300 percent in uh January. So thanks to all the gym uh, New Year's resolution people who are joining the show. Uh, if you get a chance to refer to the show to your family, friends, and relatives, go to goodreads.com. Forrest says Chris Foss. Chris Foss one on the TikTokity. Uh Chris Foss uh facebook.com and all those crazy places You, you know the drill with all the plugs uh she is the author of the uh latest book to come out january 30th 2024 which is today uh the book is entitled little treatments big effects how to build meaningful moments that can transform your mental health and uh, Jessica Slider is joining us on the show with us today to talk about her amazing book, her insights, and everything that went into it. She is a PhD and associate professor of psychology at Northwestern University, where she directs the lab for scalable mental health, assuming you have it in the first place, i have none of it, that bird flew a long time ago, uh, she completed her PhD in clinical psychology at Harvard University, her doctorate internship in clinical and community psychology at Yale School of Medicine, and her BA in psychology at Swart, Is it Swarthmore College? Swarthmore, yeah. Swarthmore. There you go. Say that three times really fast. Um, Her research on brief, scalable interventions for youth depression and anxiety have been recognized via numerous awards, including the National Institutes of Health Directors' Early Independence Award, the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, and the President's New Researcher Award. And Forbes, 30 Under 30 in Healthcare. Welcome to the show, Jessica. How are you?
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. Excited uh, for the book release today.
0: There you Hi. go. Congratulations. Lots Thank of work you. and pain, suffrage, <laughs> of teeth, biting of nails, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, clawing against uh, chalkboards. Uh, but you're finally here. You've finally made it to the published date, so congratulations on the new book. Uh, give us your dot .coms. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs?
1: Yes, uh, my lab website is uh, schleiderlab.com, schleide <laughs> uh, dot .org, rather. Sorry about that. And uh, there you can actually learn all about what our lab does in terms of building, testing, and sharing free mental health guides and tools, uh, including several you can access on your own there. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, or X, whatever you choose to call it. Uh, So those are the main places to find me.
0: There you go. So do you think your book can help people? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, Do you think people can help your book that have mental health problems like me? Wait. I said a friend, huh? <laughs> uh, that joke didn't play out right. Regardless uh, of
1: who the target is, yes, I do think so.
0: There <laughs> you go. It's probably yeah. it's probably more I should read it less and just be hit by it like a bad dog in a newspaper. Don't do that, folks. That's a joke. <laughs> um, so give us a 30000 overview of what your book is and what's inside of it.
1: Yeah. So the rationale for writing this book for me was that our mental health care system is not working. Yeah. It is not enough. Most people who need mental health support get nothing. Among those who do access support, this is actually surprising to most people, even in my own field, the most common number of sessions or interactions with care that people get is just one. So most commonly, people are getting one session of something and then not being able to return because of financial problems or barriers, structural barriers, whole host of other things. So there's a real need to figure out how can we build supports that fit how people actually get care and that can actually get something to the many people who would otherwise get nothing. Um, So that's where little treatments um, or single session interventions come in. And that's what I've been studying for the past uh, however many years, since my uh, PhD times um, and what our lab is working to make more accessible to more people to fill in gaps in this system that really isn't serving everybody.
0: There you go. So are the little treatments, big effects, just opening a TikTok account to talk about mental health or how does that work?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great question though. Like what is a little treatment? What counts? Um, I think it's important to emphasize that I'm a scientist and something is not always better than nothing. And we can't take that for granted. Um, There are a lot of unhelpful or even harmful somethings out there. So part of the book is helping the readers identify what is what are the components of a helpful single session intervention? How can I bring that about in my own life? and how can I seek out more of them so that mm-hmm. I can receive help in small but meaningful doses uh, mm-hmm. at various points when needs arise? So I would argue that most things on TikTok um, are not uh, evidence-based <laughs> <laughs> um, mental health interventions, but it's definitely possible and our lab has worked on, Integrating single session digital tools into social media platforms. So we can do that collaboratively and I'm happy to talk more about how, Uh, but most of the content out there is uh, not intentionally delivered uh, for mental health uh, treatment.
0: There you go. I've seen so many coaches, and, and not all coaches, but I've seen so many coaches and different people espousing mental health advice on yeah. TikTok that actually need it very much themselves.
1: <laughs> well, um, we all at one point or another,
0: <laughs> I know I try not to teach people about anything I don't really know about, and certainly mental health is not one of them. My audience of 15 years is like, he needs it's, it. It's over. Um, my little treatments that my psychologist saw me after one visit was just get a lobotomy and let's just get over with. <laughs> Because this is just too much work to do here. Well, just, uh, let's give up.
1: A lot of these are not covered in my book. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not book what I'm two? recommending. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe the sequel, but I'm probably there. not. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> so give us a little bit of history on your background so people can get to know you better. Sure. What, uh, wh- How are you raised? or What made you want to get into this field?
1: Absolutely. So I grew up in New York City. Uh, we're in a race in Manhattan, New York. Um, and... Two fold are the reasons that I really got interested in this field and ended up writing this book. Uh, one was professional uh, and one was super personal. Um, the super personal one happened earlier in my life and I talk about this um, in the book too. But when I was around 12 years old, I really got sick uh, with an eating disorder and it pretty much took over all aspects of my life really rapidly. Um, medical difficulties, mental health problems, you name it. My uh, parents were, of course, super concerned. And they started looking for therapists for me. Uh, But therapist after therapist that they called, all of them had waiting lists that were months and months long. Not super helpful when you need treatment right now. They then looked and maybe uh, residential programs would be helpful. Maybe those are more accessible. They were, but they were also about $1,500 a day. (laughs) <laughs> for treatment. Wow. And that's not reasonable for vast majority of the population. So I first encountered the inaccessibility of the mental health care system in middle school. And I dealt with that for years. Uh, about 15 years later, <laughs> when I was in graduate school, I was still struggling with this because effective treatment was so hard to access. Uh, I signed myself up for intensive treatment again for my eating disorder. And It was in that treatment that like a chance encounter with another patient, they said something to me that just boom, hit me like a sack of bricks and helped me see things in a different way. Helped me see what I could do and my capabilities in a different way, which totally shifted the trajectory of how my recovery went after that
0: was it jack nicholson as good as it gets where he walks in the room and he goes uh, what if this is only as good as it gets and then he leaves like but,
1: that kind of turning point is exactly what i experienced. uh part of eating disorder treatment is you have these supervised meals uh, where you challenge yourself to eat foods that are difficult for you i did that somebody else who was also a fellow patient said hey what made you try that food today that you said yesterday in group that you could never try i said i'm never going to be ready So I decided, why not just do it? And she looked at me and she said, what if that's the whole thing? What if you just do that over and over again? Like you wake up, you do a thing that you think is impossible, that you're sure you can't, and then you just start again and try the next day doing the same thing. And I thought she was ridiculous. Like, Wouldn't have taken this long for me to get to this point if that were true, that's oversimplifying it. Then I thought about it more and I was like, man, Maybe she's kite. maybe I can do that. Just do a hard thing every day and see how that goes. And I started trying it and it completely worked. Wow. And not that was the sum of my entire recovery, not that that did everything, not that Mm -hmm. I couldn't have also benefited from other treatment, but it meant something to me. That moment really mattered. Mm -hmm. And I got pretty fixated on how can we help people make more moments that matter earlier on in their treatment so they're not stuck for 15 years mm-hmm. trying to find something that helps them. In Sometimes system,
0: you just need that good. little paradigm shift, maybe, or a little exactly, switching.
1: Exactly, and um, in the book, too, I talk to about 100 people who've experienced these turning points oh. in their mental health journeys, like just moments that like shifted things for them in a really important way. This is a super common experience, um, and there are different themes that underlie why people have turning points and when they do, but long story short, If we can bottle what is most common about those turning points within a single session structured intervention or treatment, Hmm. we can help people heal faster, heal better, and maybe overcome some of the complexities of the system that don't allow people to get treatment uh, Mm. in a timely manner.
0: So you Um, think that might be better than shock therapy? Because I know some people Uh, (laughs) need some serious shock therapy.
1: Uh, Shock therapy would not be my first line treatment (laughs) suggestion, speaking as a clinical psychologist. Um, But look, people are helped by all sorts of things. But the bottom line is most forms of treatment aren't accessible at all. Uh. Um, So by creating things that can be broadly distributed, broadly disseminated, like a brief intervention, hopefully we can help more people and reach more folks who are having needs right now.
0: Damn, I was hoping to get you on board for shock therapy. I have a list that starts with part of the members of my family, but uh, <laughs> I'll save that for later. Um, so why do you think uh, most uh, current systems are built to fail? Is it cost? Is it lack of insurance or insurance support? Or is it people don't want to really deal with their problems?
1: <laughs> there are a billion and a half reasons, but I'll try to highlight some of the biggest ones that I've been mm-hmm. able to identify. One is that we don't have enough therapists. Ah. Uh, but we never will. If you look at uh, a map of all of the healthcare provider shortage areas in the United States, there's data on this, um, on the Health Research and Services Administration website, but I'll summarize it. Most of the country is a mental health care shortage area, (laughs) meaning that (laughs) in most counties in the US, there Mm -hmm. aren't enough providers to serve everybody with mental health needs. In a lot of counties, there are enough providers, but they're all concentrated in cities. So folks in rural areas, out of luck in terms of Mm. finding a mental health care provider near them. Mm -hmm. If We magically double the number of trained professional mental health care specialists overnight. We would Mm -hmm. still fall absurdly short of meeting the need in the United States. So the current model of all treatment has to be delivered by trained professionals in clinics. That's not going to work. Another big reason um, is that uh, the insurance coverage is totally haphazard. <laughs> um, there was the Mental health Parity Act was passed in 2008 in the US, but mm-hmm. even there are enough loopholes so that a lot of folks don't have good coverage wow. um, of uh, services that they would really want. Another thing compounding all of this is that, psychologists like me, people developing the interventions uh, that are supposed to help people. We've built these interventions that are on average 16 to 20 sessions long. They require people to come back again and again. But that doesn't match how people actually get treatment. (laughs) People come most of the time just once and on average about three or four times before dropping out of treatment for a variety of reasons. So our treatments don't fit how people engage with treatment. Um, Our model of therapist-delivered interventions isn't ever going to meet everybody's needs, uh, and most people can't afford it anyway (laughs) because of lack of insurance. Uh So it's just a whole mess um, on top of another mess, and there's a real need for new ideas in how we can fill some of these gaps.
0: People need to buy your book. So they can get that local <laughs> treatment. Um, the uh, you, you explained it pretty well there. There's not enough. There's not enough help for people. I think you just ex- uh, in the rural areas. I think you just explained red states and their crazy politics, um, America. Um, the uh, do you think that uh, one thing we talked about during COVID with a lot of people on the show was? I think after COVID, like this whole country needs to be assigned a psychologist. Everybody in it after surviving COVID. Because uh, I think that broke a lot of people's mental health. I'm not even sure I'm right after all. all of COVID, I wasn't right before, so I think we're pretty solid on that one. <laughs> so, do you think maybe we need uh, we need we maybe we need a nationalized uh, mental health thing for people where they can? Didn't we used? To, didn't it wasn't it before Reagan or up until Reagan? We had a lot of sanitariums and local health things. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had teenage friends that I don't know if they were really going off the deep end or if it was drugs, but they would get committed to the local asylum. Somehow I dodged all that. Um, yeah. I saved my mental health problems till later in life. That's what I did. I'm saving, but uh, that I guess that all there used to be a network of that, and it all got taken apart by, I believe, the Reagan administration.
1: Yeah. So that's actually something I go through in the first chapter of the book Mm -hmm. because the history of mental health care in the U.S. gives you a sense of how stigmatized it's been, how underfunded it's been, and how we never really gave it a chance (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> succeed yeah. because of how the investments have gone with that. But you're absolutely right. There were asylums where people were committed. So kind of sight out of mind. That was the way of dealing. Now you're
0: with talking about Congress, Congress, right? Asylums that people are committed.
1: <laughs> that's a different category. Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> they need to be assigned some psychiatrists. That's for sure. <laughs> all of them.
1: Um and the Reagan administration, you're right, um, went against those asylums and tried mm. to push for community-based interventions. Oh. Problem is, they didn't fund those community-based interventions properly. So mm. all the people who were in the asylums either weren't really getting the treatment they need in their communities or ended up in jail. And oh. now jail is the most, the largest mental health care system in the United States. Yep. Um, and so we've ended up in this situation where just because of chronic underfunding and stigmatizing people with mental illness and kind of putting it over there instead of integrating it with physical health care, mm-hmm. it's gotten to a breaking point. And you're totally right about COVID. I think for a lot of people that uh, made it a lot clearer what the gaps in the mental health care system were because the needs were so much higher for so many folks. Um, so it's definitely gotten more attention in recent years, uh, but the problems are really old decades, centuries old.
0: Yeah. Anxiety, depression, depression, mm-hmm. Um, suicide rates are really high. I think yeah. still, uh, divorce rates are really high. Uh, I don't know if that's a issue of a mental breakdown or not, but I don't know, maybe it is. Um, so you talk about neuroplasticity and the single session mindset, uh, for teens on how helping yeah. them work through anxiety and depression. Um, and every time I put one, one of these teens up for adoption, um, so how does the, does the neuroplasticity means in
1: the, yeah. Session mindset? So- That's referring to how, like, if you think about a single session intervention, I think the first question that comes to mind is what do you do in one session that could actually matter, that could actually make a difference? Uh, And our research in my lab has investigated this a lot. And we've figured out uh, that there are certain common elements that single sessions tend to have when they're helpful. One of those common elements is teaching about how all of us, all humans are built scientifically, neurologically for change. Um, And neuroplasticity references the brain's ability. And in fact, the brain's constant uh, desire to update itself, to shift and adapt to the environment that's around it. And that's how all of us are designed from an early age, We're absorbing tons of information and our brain is taking it in and adapting to the environment. That's how we learn to read. That's how we learn to socialize. All of it is based on the brain's constant ability to change. Mm -hmm. So in these single session interventions, a lot of them are online digital self-help tools. So they don't even require a therapist. Mm -hmm. What we do first is we tell people about the brain and about its ability to change. A lot of the time, folks who are experiencing depression or anxiety or a different kind of mental health problem, they experience those symptoms, those difficulties as just part of who they are. I am depressed. That's just part of me. It's never going to change. That's just how I am. That pretty much cuts off all possibility of getting better. Because if you think this is just a permanent part of who you are and your personality, Mm. why even bother trying? So the first thing we do in these single sessions is teach people why change is a fact of life, including Mm -hmm. the experience of depression or anxiety, simply because of how the brain works. Those symptoms, those difficulties you're experiencing are not permanent. They -hmm. feel permanent because that's what depression does to you, but actually they're not. Um, Mm -hmm. And that seed of hope that we can give people by teaching them about a little bit of brain science uh, is what we've seen be the most helpful component of these single session interventions, creating a possibility for change where before there wasn't one. Um, So that's the crux of how we uh, talk about neuroplasticity in our interventions.
0: There you go. Uh, I use a whole roll of plasticity to cover my uh, salad when I throw it in the fridge. Uh. (laughs) That's always good. You're just rolling up. Um, yeah, maybe some of this can be helped with the uh, Neuralink thing from Elon Musk. What do you think about that? Maybe we can just download those updates you talked about. Uh, just directly
1: into yeah. your brain. Just right, just uh, so I'm a child and adolescent psychologist by training, and I would not suggest that as a youth-focused intervention. Um, that's uh, uh, I would need to talk to some of my colleagues in computer <laughs> science and engineering about that. Yeah. But, um, uh that's not what the book discusses. I'll I'm just you
0: hoping <laughs> he tests it on himself so I can get Twitter back uh, and I can call That's it Twitter true. again. So, yeah, that would be fine. Go ahead and test it on yourself, buddy. Go ahead and take the sh- bullet on that one. We know what happens with pioneers. They get the arrows. Um, uh, now, uh, you talk about SSIs allowing people to gain support. Uh, tell us what those are.
1: Sure. So SSI stands for single session intervention. Okay. Okay. Uh, single session intervention is too many syllables. So I made an abbreviation for the book because it's easier to digest and read.
0: I um, had an SSI when it came back from Thailand, but uh, we had some penicillin cleared it up, I think.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it could stand for all sorts of things. Um, But yeah, so we, uh, in our lab, we've explored a bunch of different ways to help Uh, get people SSIs or single session interventions Mm. at moments of need where otherwise they wouldn't be able to access anything.
0: So Um, kind of like emergencies maybe?
1: Like emergencies, but outside of healthcare systems altogether. Normally to get mental health services of any kind, you'd have to go to a hospital or a clinic. And that isn't always possible if you're awake in your bed at 2 a.m. and you're just having a really rough time. You're nowhere near formal treatment at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we've done with our single session programs is actually embed them into online platforms like social media platforms, um, so that when people search for things like suicide or depression or therapy, our single session programs are offered to people on the spot. Um, and this is called uh, just-in-time intervention, uh, a program that's offered exactly when people identify some kind of need uh, mm-hmm. for guidance or support. Mm-hmm. And through that, we've reached tens of thousands of people um, through social media platforms uh, at their moments of crisis or moments of asking for help in some way for their mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by filling in the gaps of the system. Um, Otherwise, those folks would be stuck with nothing. Yeah. kind of
0: an emergency situation where they need help right away yeah and uh that's why you've on social media sometimes they're crying out for help you you know you just ping them and go hey you okay there you need a hug there buddy what's going on um what do you think of telehealth you talked earlier in the show about how a lot of stuff uh, rural areas don't have enough support and uh, you're watching fox news um what do you think about telehealth is that an effective way to get treatment
1: yeah, telehealth is fantastic. And I'm not glad but relieved that the pandemic created an opportunity for it be- to become the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was always an issue of difficulties with transportation, getting to the physical clinic where you could get treatment. So the fact that more therapists and more states are offering telehealth options for therapy is absolutely fantastic. At the same time, we have a shortage of therapists. So even with telehealth, there are Aren't going to be enough therapists to see everybody, even if one hundred percent of folks decided right. to see a therapy uh, to see a therapist over a Zoom session. Um, so it's a solution, but it's not going to fix the entire system on its own.
0: Wow. The good
1: news is that data shows that telehealth-based uh, therapy versus in-person just as effective. So that's a great thing, and I think we need to keep it. It has to be here to stay, and I think mm-hmm. it is but we also need other things to fill in those gaps.
0: It sounds like we need something really big at like a macro level where we have a presidential uh, ordainment or mandate or packet deal, some sort of thing that says, hey, you need to try and make it so that everyone can get maybe easier access to mental health or maybe you have a national website where people can go to other than WebMD where you just go there and you just, every time I go to WebMD, I pull whatever my searches and my conditions and like, you were dead five days ago. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not yeah. really helpful at this point in time.
1: WebMD causes a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: does. It's, you're like, I have syphilis. Oh, wait, I just, I don't know, I had a headache. Um, but uh, maybe we need like a nationalized uh, thing like that where...
1: I think that's right. We don't have a public health system for mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we need. Um, when 50% of adults with mental health problems and 80% of kids with mental health problems are accessing nothing wow. for their difficulties it's clear that we need to think more broadly than just traditional systems of care. We need to get more creative with how we're reaching people. Um, And that's one of the ways I think single session approaches can be helpful, Uh, both digital single sessions and single sessions that can be offered by non-professionals like peers, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a really untapped and promising way of getting this uh, support to reach more folks.
0: I, it's uh it's an interesting thing because you can just go on social media and see a lot of people that need mental health. I think half the people listen to me know. I think they're like he needs some help. But, uh, that's why I do the show is so I can get free mental health and get, I get people like yourself on to give me ideas and great books to read. And then I can try and fix myself. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's, the whole reason we do the show, uh, is to fix. Whatever well, works. Yeah, yeah. Some people grow up and become psychiatrists because they got to fix all their childhood trauma. I just do the show. Um, <laughs> and it, it actually does help. Uh, all jokes aside. Um, what are some other things we haven't talked about you want to tease out to people in your book to pick it up?
1: Yes, uh, the a lot of the single sessions that we talk about um, aren't just things that you have to go uh, seeking out at a formal therapist's office, right? There are things you can do right now today. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, uh, we include some, or I say we because I'm used to it, but I wrote the book, so <laughs> I, um, in science, you always have like a million co-authors that you publish with because everything's mm-hmm. a team effort. So mm-hmm. got to get into the author mindset, not the scientist mindset. Um, yes. Uh, But at the end of the book, I add some exercises uh, and self-guided activities that are Mm -hmm. drawn from my lab's evidence-based single session programs uh, that you can use over and over again. They're recyclable uh, to take one small but meaningful step towards a direction that matters for you. Because ultimately, that's what single sessions are good at helping you do. They're good at helping you take the best next step for yourself, uh, whatever that is, uh, in whatever moment that you're in and doesn't matter what problems you're coming in with what your baseline is where you're starting off you can mm. always do something and that's the main message of a single session intervention uh, and these exercises guide you through different somethings that you can do uh, that we've found in our studies and our research uh, can actually be helpful um, so far the interventions that our lab has built have reached more than fifty thousand people oh, wow. uh, our clinical trials through social media dissemination through community partnerships and So these supports have been tested on lots of people and uh, the book is mainly another way to get them out to more folks who would otherwise not get anything, which is unfortunately a lot of people.
0: There you go. 50,000 is a good start. Now you just need to get the other... What's 350 million U.S. Americans minus 50,000? Uh,
1: <laughs> I know, right? It's a big number for our uh, academic group, but not yeah. in terms of population health, which is uh, definitely the goal. So we're trying.
0: I've got a little treatment big effect. I don't know if you put it in your book, uh, it, but it falls in the category of self-accountability. And uh, so you're listening to people. You think you need some mental health and your life's full of problems. I want you to go into your bathroom. And take a marker and right on the big uh right in a corner of the mirror, it's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> and, just
1: go up uh, swift. That'll fix it. Start everything. with
0: that. Start with that. Yeah, there you go. And uh that it you know, takes some self accountability and uh You'll be surprised what kind of problems that fixes.
1: (laughs) Put a different spin on that, though. If it's you that's the problem, it's you're the solution, too, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. So we should do that as well. See, that's why you're paid the big bucks and I get $5 (laughs) uh, for this. Uh, So yeah, put that. Put that on the next category below the thing and uh, fix yourself, damn it. It's That seems to be the biggest problem I see on everything. Even though people have gone into therapists and run therapists around in circles for years that never get any help because they just go in there and they, they just run the gambit and lie to the therapist and blame wow. everybody else. And, and you're just like, I know what you're doing in there. You're just putting on the, a show for the therapist and oh, everybody else is crazy but me. I'm just own it. Like I owned it a long time ago. I'm the crazy one, but that's what makes this show so great. So I just run with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the reality is a lot of the time there are things in your environment that you totally can't control. It's not always all because of something that you did that you're experiencing distress. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, even while all this stuff is going on around you, you can still take a step within your sphere of influence to do something Mm -hmm. that matters. So, even if it is other people being terrible, <laughs> maybe that's true. But also, you can do something for yourself to give yourself space from those people, to help yourself engage in things that you care about. So, both can be true. Just putting that out there.
0: There you go. And yeah, there are some people. Just try and get those people out of your lives so if you can. Don't keep those vampires, those emotional vampires around. That, yes. that always helps. And then friend some people on Facebook that need some unfriending. I find that helps my mental thing. In fact, you know what really helped my mental uh, health recently? Yeah, because I hate those self-check-in things. I quit going to Walmart, and now I have my groceries Mm -hmm. delivered. That thing improved my mental health like 25% never having to go to Walmart. Giving yourself
1: so much more cognitive space. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The lack lack of planning is huge, giving yourself time back.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And just not having to put up with everything at Walmart. So there you go. I hate self-checkout. Can you tell? So give us your final pitch out, Jessica, as we go out for people to pick up your book and
1: get to know what you're doing better. The mental health care system we have is not good enough and we need to get creative about figuring out how to make it better. And, how you can take steps in your own life to support your mental health in basically micro doses of therapy um, that are actually evidence-based. So I hope the book is helpful to folks. I hope it's thought provoking and I hope it uh, inches people closer to making the systemic change we need in the mental health care system.
0: There you go. We need everybody to take and pull their own boots up. As you said, there's not enough help out there and and so order up her book and then uh, also do that mirror thing and to put both parts, like she said, on them. Um, because, honestly, a lot of it is, is your own thing. I was diagnosed with anxiety, uh, and uh, the doctor put me on the meds for the Zoloft and stuff, but I had to learn to figure out what was triggering me, especially for my mental thing. And then I learned that I was tightening a muscle in my stomach that would cause everything else to get really tense. And I would go into kind of high anxiety state. And so I had to learn what was triggering me and then how to start cutting it off and dealing with it. And then slowly wean myself off of Zoloft and the meds after, uh, after uh, nine months, I still take the uh, crack cocaine. But I don't think that. It's uh, a small thing, uh, though. It's a small thing. Yeah. It, it's, it helps. It helps. It doesn't help people. That's a joke. Don't do drugs. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Jessica, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming. And thanks, Amonas, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, for chess, Chris Foss, YouTube.com, for chess, Chris Foss, one of the tiktok and Chris Foss, LinkedIn dot com for instance, chris voss i don't know if i did that one and uh you can buy your markers from amazon and the mirror in your bathroom is free thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time